Welcome to Albuquerque Westside Foursquare's podcast. My name is Tony. I lead worship at Westside Foursquare Church and upload the podcast. If you have questions, comments, or prayer requests, please reach out to us in the email listed in the show notes. You can also find us on YouTube and Facebook. I hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning. Welcome to Foursquare, uh, Westside Foursquare Church. Got my merds wixed there. And uh, Joy and I have been out of town for a couple weeks, but we are back. And I am excited to continue our series about the Ten Commandments and you. And so we're going to pray and then we will continue. So first you want to say no, I remembered that. I haven't forgotten that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that your word is an anchor for us that keeps us from going astray. It's a, it's a, a plumb line. It's a measure for our lives. And God, I thank you for your word. And I pray that you would open your word to us today, that you would prepare our hearts to be good soil for what you have to say to us. And God, I ask that uh, as that seed is planted in our hearts, it would grow and produce a harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. All right, so we are actually going through a series on the Ten Commandments in you. It's been a couple weeks. And um, this series is based in the Ten Commandments that are found in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1, going through verse 17. And I'm going to read through that passage really quickly to get us uh, back into the mindset. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, we have already covered these, other, these commandments that I just read through. You can find those online. Today, we're going to be talking about the next commandment. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then verse 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now the 10 commandments essentially describe a human life that works properly. The first five commandments talk about 
um, how we are to interact with God when our life is working properly. That's how we will interact with God. The second five commandments show us how our life will look like when we are properly interacting with those around us, with other human beings. And in reality, what the Ten Commandments describe is they describe what a loving life looks like. If a person is living a life that is controlled by the love of God, then their life will look like what those Ten Commandments say. Uh, Romans 6, starting in verse 5, we're going to read that next if you want to turn to that. Romans 6, starting in verse 5. Now, before we come to Jesus, before we submit our lives to Jesus and receive his salvation, we are dead to God and we are dead to love. We are incapable of loving God and loving others by God's definition of love. Now, we know there's lots of definitions of love. The world has some definitions of love that we reject because they do not match up with what the scripture says. But when we are dead in our sin, we are incapable of living a life that looks like the Ten Commandments because we are bound by our sin nature. It is, very, it is at the very heart of who we are, and that sin nature causes us to be self-centered, not other-centered. So it is impossible for us to love and live a life that the Ten Commandments describe prior to what the Holy Spirit does when we yield our lives to Christ. Let's read about that. Romans 6, starting in verse 5. For we have been united with him in a death like his, or if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, what this is saying is that when we come to Christ and give our lives to Jesus, there is a sense in the eternal that we actually die with him and are resurrected with him, with Christ. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we, have, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So once we have given our lives over to Christ and he performs this miracle inside of us, our old selfish self dies and we are actually no longer enslaved to that sin nature, we become free to live our lives to God. We become free to love people. What happens is that the Holy Spirit, we're set free from sin, and the Holy Spirit is transforming us into new creations where we actually want to obey the Ten Commandments. We actually want to live a life that is loving. We want to live a life that brings glory to God. Why? Because we want to be like God. 
in worship this morning, I was thinking about how um, we don't, as Christians, we don't want to do, we don't want to obey the Ten Commandments because that's what you're supposed to do. As Christians, we want to obey the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments show us what, what God is like. And we want to be like our Heavenly Father. We want to be like our Savior that we are falling in love with. And we are motivated to walk out those Ten Commandments. We're freed to do it because we're resurrected from the dead. We're freed from our sin nature. And we're motivated to do it, not because that's what you're supposed to do, not because that will make God like me, but we're motivated to obey the Ten Commandments because then we'll be like our Heavenly Father. And every child naturally wants to be like their parent. Well, now we are actually able to live a divinely sourced life that works. Remember, the Ten Commandments describe to us a human life that functions properly in our relationship to God and our relationship to other people. It goes back to that commandment that Jesus said was the second greatest commandment. Um, well, the two commandments that are the greatest commandments. The first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is encapsulated in the first five commandments. And then he said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that is described in the second five commandments. So let's look at Exodus chapter 20 again, verse 8 through 11. This is the commandment we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to talk about Sabbath. What is the deal with this whole Sabbath thing? What is the point? So Exodus 20, starting in verse 8, God says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." What is the deal with this whole Sabbath thing? You know, Sabbath is probably one of the most violated of the Ten Commandments. Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments that is violated at least as much as any of the others. But we kind of turn a blind eye to that, don't we? We don't really focus on the Sabbath day. We don't really focus on taking a day of rest. We don't really focus on it. I mean... I can understand not stealing, and I can understand not murdering, but this whole resting thing, that doesn't really affect anybody but me, right? And so we kind of just turn a blind eye to this whole commandment about the Sabbath. Well, today I want to talk to you about three things that the Sabbath is that hopefully will motivate you to begin to observe a Sabbath. Now, I don't believe that we have to observe a particular day. Paul talks about in one of his letters that some people consider one day more holy and other people will consider another day more holy. 
And neither one of those really matters as long as what you're doing, you're doing to glorify the Lord. So I am not going to sit here and tell you that you have to take Sabbath on Saturday or you have to take Sabbath on Sunday. In fact, there are people who have to work on Saturday and Sunday and they choose a different day of the week as their day of rest. What I think is important is that we take Sabbath time. That is what is important. And there's a lot of things, I believe there's a lot of things about, the, uh, about observing the Sabbath that we will not understand. We're not going to understand all of it. I think that's true with all of the Ten Commandments. I think that there are blessings and there, are, there is protection in obeying each one of the commandments that we don't even know about. I believe it, it's, it goes into the eternal, it goes into the spirit realm, and it produces fruit or it protects us in ways that we don't even know about. So I'm not going to try and explain the whole Sabbath to you, the whole Sabbath thing to you, but I am going to talk about three things that I believe the Sabbath is that are good reasons for us to prioritize observing, observing Sabbath. The first one is that Sabbath is a loving gift from God to all human beings. Sabbath is a loving gift to God. God has endless power. He has endless energy. He did not have to take a day off after he created the universe. He didn't. God doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary. But he took a day off, and in his own action, he established something that would be a gift to humankind, and he called it Sabbath. When Adam and Eve chose to eat from the forbidden tree, when they chose to disobey God, and remember, it's not eating the fruit that was the sin. It was disobeying God that was the sin. When they chose to do that, they were separated from God and fell under a curse. And if you turn with me to Genesis 3, starting in verse 17, and as always, I ask you to flip or click so you can make sure that what I'm saying is actually there. Genesis 3, starting in verse 17, and to Adam, he said, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Why is the ground cursed? Because God had given authority over the whole earth to Adam. He had given Adam authority over the entire earth. And when Adam, who was in a position of authority, separated himself from God in sin, it also separated everything that was under his authority from God. And so cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Verse 19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So part of what happened when Adam and Eve sinned, they cut themselves off from God. They cut themselves off from relationship with God. They cut themselves off from God being their full source, God being actively involved in their lives in interactive relationship. 
And what happened is that because they're cut off from God, people have to work. Now people have to work. We eat by the sweat of our brow. And one of the reasons why I disagree with some of the decisions that are being made by our government right now is because I believe we are supposed to eat by the sweat of our brow. And when you just give money to people, what happens is you turn them into lazy bums because we're not designed for that. We're not wired for that because we live in our selfish sin nature. We are not wired to have everything given to us. In fact, because human beings have a healthy sin nature, we need to be bound by the requirements of needing to earn and needing to work. It's important. But that is part of the curse of us being separated from God. Okay? Sin separated mankind from God's care, from his provision, and from his blessing. Sin set man on his own to sink or swim by his own strength. But God says that in spite of us living under that fallen order, and someday Jesus will come and restore the right order, in spite of us living under that order where we have to work and we have to sweat to see our needs met, God says it is okay to take a break. That is a gift from God. We don't deserve a break. We deserve to work every day of our lives and barely survive because of our rebellion against God. But God established from the beginning, it's okay to rest. It's okay to take a break. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. Mark 2, 23. This is talking about Jesus and his disciples. One day he, Jesus was going through the grain fields, or one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. They were hungry. So that was a snack you could have. You would walk through a grain field and pluck a few heads of grain and shake out the grain into your your hand and eat it. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And what this verse tells us is that the Sabbath, this idea of having a day off, a day to rest, a day where you do not work, it was created for human beings. It's a gift to us. God gives us permission to rest. Now, as an interesting side note, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And he is Lord of the Sabbath because the Sabbath was given to mankind and Jesus is the primary number one representative of humans. Because he was born in the flesh, he became the son of man. And he is the primary representative for human beings. Adam 
gave up in his sin, Adam gave up his authority to the devil. Jesus, as the only righteous man to never sin, takes that authority back. And because Sabbath belongs to human beings, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. So I think that's kind of cool. So not only does God give us permission to rest, but the fact is we need to take regular periods of rest. We have to have rest. Our minds and bodies cannot handle continuous work. Remember, the Ten Commandments describes a life that is functioning properly. And part of a, a human being functioning properly is times of rest. We must have times of rest. Do you know scientists have no idea why we need to sleep? They have no idea why the human body requires sleep. They don't understand it. They know what sleep does. They know the benefits of sleep, but they don't know why we have to sleep. But God does. God designed us to need rest. And if we do not take rest, we will break. We will cease to function properly if we do not take regular times of rest. I have a news flash for you. You can't do everything. You cannot do it all. You can't. You can't make everything happen. You can't make everything bend to your will. You are limited. But did you know that your limits are a gift from God? Your limits are a gift from God because you were designed to live in relationship, serving, loving relationship with other people, and your limits are God's way of requiring you to interact with other human beings. Our limits are gifts to us from God. And when we reject those gifts, we reject those limits, and we try and be God in our lives, we will cease to function properly. Sabbath is about crafting that kind of interactive relationship with God. Just as you can't do it all and you have limitations and you require interactions with other human beings in order for your life to work properly and in order for your needs to be met, Sabbath is something that God established so that we will pursue that interactive relationship with him. Sabbath is a gift to us from God. The second thing I want to say about Sabbath is that Sabbath is an act of faith. Just as Sabbath is a gift to human beings from God, Sabbath is also an act of faith. Because sin set mankind on his own, separating him from God, Human beings live in constant and never-ending fear. When we are outside of Christ, when we are living in sin, we live in constant underlying fear. Why? Because it's all up to us to make our lives work, and we live in an angry, fallen, dangerous universe that is not on our side. Nature does not like you. 
human beings throughout the history of mankind have had to create ways of protecting themselves from nature because nature does not like us. Nature is falling apart. Everything is going, the, the law of entropy says everything is going from a state of more order to a state of more and more disorder. And we as human beings are forced to protect ourselves from entropy and from nature. And so human beings that are outside of relationship with God live in constant state of fear because we know instinctively we are not strong enough, we are not smart enough, we don't have enough to protect us from entropy and protect us from the world around us. So what we do in our fear is we are constantly trying to control. We're constantly trying to control our circumstances. We're constantly trying to control our environment. We're constantly trying to control the other people in our lives so that we can feel safe. So we tell ourselves lies. If I can just make enough money, I will be safe. You know, making money is, is rarely about money. Usually making more money is about making myself safe. Another lie we tell ourselves, if I can just do enough to make others love, appreciate, and accept me, then I will be safe. If I can only serve God enough to make him give me a chance and accept me, I will be safe. When we observe the Sabbath, when we take time off, when we put down our tools, when we stop trying to control everything around us for a period of time, what we are doing is we are walking out our faith that God is in control, not me. When we don't observe Sabbath, what we're doing is we are walking out our belief that God is not in control of my life and I have to make it all work. Does that make sense? Sabbath, observing Sabbath is an act of faith. I'm saying God is my provider. I don't have to constantly be trying to make more money. God will meet my needs. God will protect me. I don't have to spend every waking moment of my life trying to keep myself safe. Now, don't get me wrong. It is good to work. All through the New Testament, Paul even said that if somebody doesn't work, they shouldn't eat. That's what he said. In the church, if someone doesn't have a job, if they're not willing to put their hands to some kind of work, essentially to serve others, really, because every job in some way is serving other people and part of that interactive relationship that you have with other human beings that's driven by our limitations. Paul says if someone in the church is not willing to work, they shouldn't eat. We shouldn't be giving them food. It is good to have work. It is good to have a job. Now, because we are in Christ, what happens is instead of our job being there for, uh, uh, as an effort of ourselves to protect ourselves, our job becomes a ministry of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Yes. To be clear, you're not saying don't feed people who need help. Right. You're saying 
Right. Really, there are two kinds of poor people. And you don't hear this in modern politics. But there are two kinds of poor people. There are the unfortunate, in other words, victims of other people's negative behavior. Those are the kind of poor people that we ought to be helping. The other kind of poor people are the unwilling. Those who are unwilling to help themselves. Those who are unwilling to... um, do anything for other people, to serve anybody else. Their, their poverty is a result of their selfishness. So really, the two kinds of poor people is there are those who are poor because of other people's selfishness, and there are those who are poor because of their own selfishness. Does that make sense? And so we are to serve and help those who are poor because of other people's selfishness, But those who are poor because of their own selfishness, if we don't allow them to reap the consequences of their selfish choices, they will never feel the need to change. Okay? Now, when we choose to observe the Sabbath, we are acknowledging to ourselves, not just in empty words, but in our actual behavior in our action, or in this case, actually, when we observe Sabbath, by our inaction on the Sabbath day, we are declaring with more than just words or thoughts, we are declaring with our actions that my provider is God, not myself. The source of my need, the the one who takes care of what I can't take care of, is God, not me. So Sabbath, not only is it a gift from God to human beings, but Sabbath is an active act of faith whereby we let go and we say, okay, God, for this 24-hour period, I acknowledge that you are in control and I'm not. You are the one who provides my needs. I don't have to. Do you realize when you come into relationship with God, you no longer have to provide your needs? Do you know why you go to work? You go to work so that you can be Christ in that workplace. That's why you go to work. Your whole reason for working changes. You go to work, God calls you to a job so that you can take Christ into that workplace and you can do that job as Christ would do that job if he was in your place to bring salt and light into that workplace. And then God uses that company or that organization or wherever you're working, God will use that to help meet your needs, but God is the one meeting your needs, not you yourself. And Sabbath is an acknowledgement of that. So Sabbath is a gift from God to human beings. Sabbath is an act of faith. And observing Sabbath, the third thing is observing Sabbath is an act of worship. Observing Sabbath is an act of worship. I was speaking with my daughter yesterday. We were uh, driving up into the mountains and we were talking about worship and we were talking about how when you look at worship in the scripture, it the, the biblical definition of worship is completely and utterly different different from our American use of the word worship. 
When we talk about worship, we're talking about singing a song or going to a song service. I'm going to go to worship at church. That's what we talk about worship as being. But when you look in scripture, worship is a totally different thing. My son-in-law, Tony, puts it this way. Worship is a time where you lower yourself and raise God. And in the scripture, worship is never separated from sacrifice. Worship in the scripture is never separated from sacrifice. Worship and sacrifice in the scripture always go together. What is sacrifice? That's where I give up of something I have authority over I give it to God in a way that costs me something, okay? In fact, who would we say was the greatest worshiper in the Bible? David. David. King David was the greatest worshiper in the Bible. He wrote most of the 150 Psalms that we have recorded in the Bible today. And this is what David said about worship. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel chapter 24, starting in verse 18. David knew more about worship than anyone else. David was a worshiper, and this was his attitude about worship. 2 Samuel 24, starting in verse 18, and Gad, who was a prophet, Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arauna, the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Arauna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Arauna went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Arauna said, why has my Lord, the king come to a servant? David said to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that this plague may be averted from the people. Then Arauna said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Arauna gives to the king. And Arauna said to the king, The Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Arauna, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Worship in the Bible always includes some kind of sacrifice. If you say, I had a wonderful time worshiping the Lord and it did not cost you something, Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with singing praise and worship to God. There's nothing wrong with glorifying Him with your lips. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you are not actively giving something to God, making some kind of sacrifice to God, your worship is incomplete. Our modern definition of worship isn't worship at all. Worship is not music. Worship is not a service or an event or a concert. Worship isn't the act of creating an atmosphere in which I can feel better. 
Now listen, music can be a part of worship. Nothing wrong with that. Worship can happen within the context of a service or an event or even a concert. Worship will usually result in, the, in you feeling better, but not always. Not always. I have a very dear friend and she was struggling with depression and she asked me, what should I do? I said, you need to worship the Lord. I said, you don't feel like worship. She said, I don't feel like worshiping. I said, what does that have to do with it? Feeling like worship has nothing to do with it. God is worthy of our worship. In fact, when I don't feel like worshiping is when worship becomes a sacrifice. When I don't feel like singing songs of praise to God, that's when the singing itself becomes a sacrifice. And that completes your worship because it's worship with sacrifice. So worship can include singing, it can include worship services, and it will usually result in me feeling better, although not always. But worship itself is about humbling myself and lifting God up in my own eyes and my own heart and also to people around me. Worship is about humbling myself and lifting God up. And sacrifice is involved in worship for the same reason that we observe the Sabbath. Sacrifice and worship puts action to my declaration that my dependence is on God. I am a tither. I believe in tithing. Why? Because worship without sacrifice is not worship. I can go into a whole bunch of other scriptural reasons why I believe in tithing. But for the purpose of our discussion today, worship without some kind of sacrifice, something that costs me something, is incomplete. And I don't believe it fulfills the biblical definition of worship. Sacrifice in worship put act, puts actions to my declaration that my dependence is on God. Sacrifice reinforces by my choices the truth that he is God and I am not. He is everything and I am, by comparison to him, nothing. You do realize the only reason that you and I have value is because God places value on us. That's it. We have no inherent value whatsoever. God does. God is my source Worship and sacrifice, worship, including sacrifice, declares that everything I have and everything I am belongs to Him. So when we observe the Sabbath, we lay down our tools, we cease our efforts to make everything work, we cease our efforts to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, we cease our efforts to control our circumstances and control other people around us. When we lay all that down, we are, the sacrifice that we are putting on the altar to God is my control. It's my control. When I lay down my control as a sacrifice to God, I am worshiping God. I am also sacrificing anything that I could have earned or accomplished during the Sabbath. I am laying those down as a sacrifice to God. I'm really sacrificing my time to obey Him and to His glory. 
And we use that Sabbath time to focus on God's character and glory, not on what we can accomplish, not on our own glory or achievement. So as a self-check, I want to ask you just kind of bluntly, when do you take Sabbath? When do you find time to rest? In today's world, that is really, really hard. You know, it's kind of funny to look at all the old um, films from the 1950s that talk about how technology is advancing so fast that by the time we get to the 1990s, human beings will only have to work four hours a week because technology is advancing so fast. That will never happen. Because human beings always want more. We always want more. And so because technology helps, be, helps me be more efficient in my job, my company doesn't expect me to work less. They expect me to accomplish more. So it doesn't matter how far we get in technology, human beings will always be working. We will always be loaded with responsibility And then you add to that the fact that the unsaved and many of the saved are filled with fear. They will always be working to try and keep control of their circumstances. Work and effort is going to be a part of human existence, period. In fact, I I can't help but wonder when Jesus comes back and sets everything right if there still won't be things for us to do. God worked... God accomplishes things, so I don't wonder, or I, I, I wonder to myself whether that, I don't think when we get to heaven, it's going to be like we don't have to work anymore. I think we won't get weary with our work, but I think we will be engaged in accomplishing things for God. So there's always work to be done. There's always things that need to be accomplished. When do we take a break? When do we obey the commandment of the Lord and receive the gift that he's given us, walk in faith to let things go for a while, and choose to worship him by sacrificing that time to our trust in him? Do you want to know what group of people in the church violate this commandment more than any other group? clergy, pastors. Pastors are terrible about taking Sabbath. In fact, when I read about our founding pastor, Amy Semple McPherson, do you know what I think her biggest sin was as a leader? She made lots of mistakes, but you know what I think her biggest sin was? She did not take Sabbath. She worked seven days a week. 52 weeks a year. She was always at the church. She was always doing things. And you know what? In the end, it undermined her. In the end, it undermined her mental health. It undermined her physical health. Pastors and clergy are the worst people in the church about obeying this commandment. And that is wrong. Do you know why? Because pastors and clergy are called to be an example to the flock. And when we as pastors work and work and work and work and work and work and work, the people get the idea that that's what they're supposed to do too. 
So I want to say to all those out there on the internet that are listening to me, do you make sure that your pastor and his family have times of rest? One of the wisest things I have ever heard is where the leadership in a church will enforce periods of rest and Sabbath for their pastors. That is wise. Your pastor and his family will be better equipped to serve the church body if they are taking regular periods of rest, if they are obeying the commandment to observe Sabbath. Our people in our little church here allow Joy and I to take periods of rest. In fact, Joy and I just returned last week from two weeks in Hawaii. And while we were gone, Katie and Tony covered everything. They covered worship. They covered the teaching. They covered everything. Now, we have a house church. We meet in our living room, and they came to our house, and they set things up, and they covered it. And I want to say thank you, Tony, and thank you, Katie, for allowing Joy and I to have Sabbath time. We appreciate it. This is why I didn't thank you at the beginning of the service because I already had it in my notes, and because I wanted to make sure that my gratitude and my expression of thanks, that you understand why I'm saying thank you. Because you guys allow us to have periods of rest, and that is invaluable. The people here in our little church take very good care of Joy and I, and we are thankful for that. So I want to ask you again, when do you intentionally plan times of rest for yourself? It is a gift from God to humanity. It is an act of faith to stop doing stuff. That is an act of faith. It will build your faith if you will stop doing stuff for a period of time to focus on the Lord. And it is an act of worship when you take that time and you take that control and you take anything you could have achieved or gathered during that time, you lay that on, the sac on, a, on a, an altar of sacrifice to the Lord. And you know what? It will help your life function properly if you find periods of Sabbath. So Lord, we come before you this morning and God, I want to say thank you for the gift of Sabbath, that you give us permission to take a break. And you have promised that you will provide all of our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus, you said that we don't have to worry about the food we eat and the clothes we wear because you will take care of us. God, we do work, but as your followers, we go to work to be salt and light in that workplace. We go to work to show them the way Jesus would accomplish that job if he was in our place. We don't go to work to earn a living. We go to work to be salt and light in that place. And because you use that work to grow us and mature us. And then you also, most of the time, will use that company to provide our needs. But our whole idea of work should be different. And God, as your followers in Christ... We have a responsibility, we have a privilege of laying all that aside and spending time each week 
focusing on you, worshiping you, trusting you. God, I pray that you would awaken within your church body a passion for Sabbath. And God, I also ask that you would awaken within your people a passion to ensure that their leaders in the church not only get Sabbath, but that they take Sabbath. God, as pastors, we are driven by a passion to see people hear about Jesus, to see people grow and mature in their relationship with the Lord. But God, we can allow that passion to become something that we are trying to control instead of yielding that control to you. God, I pray that, that uh, church councils and, and elders groups all over our country would begin to require their pastor and the pastor's family to take periods of rest, that it would be required of them in observation of your commandment to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. Those of you who are watching or listening online, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you found this encouraging. I hope you found it a little challenging because uh, American Christians particularly are not good at Sabbath anymore. There used to be a time in history where Sabbath was a cultural mandate. Everybody took Sabbath. Stores closed on Sundays. Um, you, it, was, it was more inconvenient to try and work on Sunday than not. But those days are gone. We are in an entirely humanist society now where the expectation is that it's all up to us to make everything work. Um, and so I hope you found this a little challenging. I want to challenge you to receive that gift from God, to step out in faith, to make your worship active, and to take regular Sabbath. So listen, we love you, we believe in you, and we believe in Christ in you, and we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening today. Remember, we believe in you, and we believe in Jesus in you. Have a great week. Thank you.